Welcome to Talatera, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion. Today, my guest is Steve Hetherington. Steve is an alpaca shepherd who, together with his wife Sue, operates Welsh Valley Alpacas in Wales. Steve offers support services to alpaca owners and offers workshops for individuals interested in owning alpacas. Steve also welcomes the public to his farm and creates unique learning experiences for visitors. Our conversation begins with Steve sharing his earliest memories of enjoying nature. Sit back and relax as we travel together to a lush green valley in Wales. Hi, Tanya. It's great to be here. It's a long time back. I, I, the memory has to go a long way back. I think there's always been a, a fascination with, with natural environments and with nature, <laughs> turning over rocks, looking for bugs digging up worms and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was normal. And I thought everybody was like that, but apparently not necessarily. So it's always been something that's been an interest and a, and a passion. And when I was younger and people saying, what are you going to do when you grow up? And one of the things I, I thought of was being a vet, which I didn't understand exactly what that meant. I, I really liked animals. I was a bit off people. I was kind of in that awkward teenage stage and I was thinking (laughs) I don't want anything to do with people just animals working as a vet you spend a lot of time with people difficult situations often and then you have to do not so nice things to animals for their good but nevertheless it's it's a challenging kind of environment really and so I, I was totally off 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 beam in terms of how the reality of that compared with to to the the thoughts but yeah so that was my earliest thing was right from a young child out in the garden playing uh, out in the yard, playing in in the <laughs> in the soil, uh, and be, just being fascinated by by anything the living. And when did you realize nature was important to you? I think it was again early ages and going through school things and having to make choices about. I really enjoyed certain things. Then you get to the point that you've got to choose which courses you're going to take going forward. And I tended to to merge over onto the the science side of things, and particularly biology. My favorite subject uh, would, would have been biology uh, and all its ranges uh, from the, the chemistry and the maths side of the, the detailed stuff down at cellular level right the way through to, to full-scale animals. And I, I think that was the, the growing awareness, growing accumulation of knowledge, but, but just a, a – oh, that's interesting. wonder what – Happens if I pull that thread and follow that down and follow. So there's a lot of getting things out of the books out of the library and following information. Yeah, is was there a moment that made you think, you know, say, okay, this is this is it? I mean, you have a, a huge curiosity. Is there was there a moment, an incident, or an event that made you think, okay, this this really is important. I'm going to do this. I guess in some ways I'm a romantic by nature. <laughs> <laughs> as as well so so reading things again this is it's the kind of the vet thing of of not realizing what the reality was about i i fancied, I fancied very much the idea 
of living out in the wilds in Canada and Jack London's book, sort of Call of the Wild and, and stories around that just really kind of caught me. And, I, and I'm thinking this is, this is really important. These are valuable parts of the world, uh, the, the, meaning the animals in particular, but the, the environment as well. And it was, it was kind of a recognition that it, it sat well with me. And it kind of grew and just became one of those things that was an automatic assumption. Um, so that's how I ended up doing the the, the general degree in biology, um, and uh, loved loved every moment of it. Yeah, <laughs> and so then your career developed along into, into the biological sciences or some aspect of that field. Yeah, I, I was a very general degree. I, I specialized. You do bit more specializing as you're going through the, the three years, but it was particularly animal behavior uh, and also animal physiology, which uh, again, really down to, to the small. And it was the, it's the, the scale of things from very fine to very large that, that's there that, that just, just amazing for, from the bacteria and the, the fungi right, right, right through. And I, I remember one particular lecture we had, uh, we would, I hadn't done much botany for some reason. I'd always been on the animal side and we, we did a thing. We were looking at how how seeds grow into plants and all series of steps and, and things. Um, and do you know, with a pea, <laughs> you can see all of the, the mystery. So I ended up, I had this lecture and then I, I went home and I, I, we had peas on the plate for tea. And I, I re-lectured <laughs> the, 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 the botany lesson we'd had earlier in the day. And I, I dissected <laughs> the pea and took it all apart and explained all the parts and how it was going to turn into a, to the, to the, the, the leaf and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. So I, yeah. I, if you like that kind of thing, it's great. But otherwise I think I'm, I'm probably nightmare to be, <laughs> to be around and, and to be living with. I'm always finding things. Oh, did you see that? Oh, this is a, oh dear. Yes. What was your first experience with alpacas? First experience of alpacas, yes. No, Ben, we lived in a place that we saw some from a distance, and that was it. We just kind of vaguely, vaguely aware. We moved to where we are now in South Wales, and it's a valley, and we were thinking about what we might use the land for. One of the problems is it used to be a reservoir, so there's, there's a lot of history with the place, and the ground is very wet. That's why they put the reservoir here, and the Larger animals were going to be a problem. They would compact the soil and turn it into liquid mud, and it would just—it wouldn't be very easy to have either horses or or cows or anything like that. And our sheep are a bit boring, so we would be looking around. My wife one day said, "Just humour me. Have a look at this website." Uh, she'd been apparently dropping subtle hints, and I hadn't been taking any notice. But we then um, spent ages. We were late to bed that night because we just spent so much time poring over this this website. Decided we need to go and see some. Now, I'm of the opinion that some people have got an alpaca gene. They connect with alpacas deeply. Everybody likes an alpaca, but some people just really get alpacas. They, they, I don't think there is an alpaca gene, but it's like there is an alpaca gene, just in case anybody thinks. Anyway. So seeing them, that was it. We very quickly changed our, our language from vaguely possible to, oh, this, uh, yeah, we could have that there. We could, oh, that one. Look at that one. And she was an outstanding. And we still have her. She's, she's one of our, we saw her in the field when we went to visit this farm down, down in Devon. And we still have her. She's one of our original five that we started with. Started so with five pregnant females uh, and grew on from there. And that was, that was our first catching the, the, the whiff of a scent of something by looking at the website and then actually seeing them and going, oh, yes. 
and and it was yeah so that was our first experience so then how did you take your first alpaca home well, we didn't have to take them home, thankfully. We had uh, them delivered by the people we bought them from. They, it was a larger breeder, and they were very good in terms of helping us to learn how to do the husbandry, how to look after the alpacas. Um, and I went down and spent a couple of days just doing the practical stuff on the farm with them. And then they actually delivered the animals down to us uh, here, which is just as well, because at the time we didn't have a, a vehicle or, or a horse box or whatever that would have been able to, to transport them. And they delivered them through the gate. And they moved into the middle of the field. We'd spent ages just in time, managed to get all the fences in place and finished mostly. And and we just kind of, they kind of all looked around a bit. And then the people people left. We gave them a cup of tea and off they went. And as they were driving away, all the alpacas were kind of leaning after this this horse box disappearing into the back. So they're going without us. Um, and so they yeah, they adjusted very quickly and uh, they, they they enjoyed being in the field. And we have various things. Because it's a, a valley, there's there's a lot of slopes, there's a reasonable amount of grass, and there's places we took them down to, different fields and things. So they really enjoy the stimulation uh, of new environments and, and, and new things going on. So yeah, that was our, our initial thing. And we didn't realize what we were doing. Um, it was mm, learning. It was, I was all in at the deep end and, and having to learn a lot of things. It's not that complicated but there's a, it's a lot of things you just haven't done before uh we'd had a dog uh, it's not quite the same as having livestock which alpacas are um they're not house pets by any means and uh yeah so there's a lot to learn and it's been a great journey and, and loved every minute of it, as, as i say wow and and so you have this delivery yeah and then you start welsh valley alpacas after that weekend after that day Fairly soon after, it was kind of, where was that? It would have been March sort of time when they arrived. Our first open day we had was at Easter that year, which would have been early April. Uh, I know it moves around, but I remember it was early April that year. So we, we threw it open. Now we had some friends and, and local people. Who, what are they doing down there? We better go and have a look. So we had quite a few people turn up and uh, they were in the little corral and I, I fed them. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. I, did, I you know, how how do you do these open days? It was something we've learned over the years to to do. But it was this thing of, uh, okay, they're standing there and they're eating food. And and one of, there was a little youngster who was there that we that we knew, uh, family friend, and and he said, "Oh, Steve, do they do tricks?" <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, they didn't. No. So it was kind of wanting to share all the time. Uh, right from the early stages, wanting to share the alpacas with other people, uh, and there was an interest and a curiosity. Some people thought we were mad, but there was a there was an interest, and uh, I just delighted being able to, to 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 explain and and share things like that with with visitors. So, wow, you started with five alpacas, and how many do you have today? We've currently got thirty five today. <laughs> it goes up and down a bit because we sell some of the youngsters that when they're born. So we've had. 50 Korea, that's the, the name, that's Spanish word for, for, for the offspring, over the years. So it's, it's 11 and a half years we've, we've been keeping them now. Uh, learned a lot, lost some, et cetera, as you, as you do when you've got larger numbers, there can be complications. And uh, we've had our share of both ups and downs. But yeah, currently got 35, which is, which is large. For, most people have smaller numbers, so they might have three, um, five, seven-ish would be quite large. And then 35 is really quite large. Um, 
but they're they're becoming more common and and more frequently seen around uh, through the UK. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I was wondering how large is your is the alpaca community? Not just in the UK, but overall. Oh, now there's a question. Don't know. Mm. I've come across some in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> Yeah, you know, other places. <laughs> they they do get around. I mean, they're originally going to be from uh, the high plains, the Altiplano, uh, in South America. So it's Peru, particularly, and Chile, uh, and that, that kind of area. And uh, that's where they've been for a long, long time, going back to the to the Incas. And it was probably about thirty ish years ago when, in America and Australia, they they started to become there was an interest and they started to be imported. Uh, and so they're probably about 10, 15 years ahead of us in the, in the UK. There's been a lot of people in, in America who've, throughout America, uh, up and down all over the place and Canada and, and New Zealand, have a large population, uh, a, lot of, a lot of herds in New Zealand and they got the space. And again, Australia, large herds. And they, they use the, the fiber is the, the product. So it's grown for the, the, you're keeping them for the fleece. Llamas you use as pack animals. You can, trek with them and, and actually carry weights and things alpacas look big but they're actually full of fluff <laughs> their, their body is really not as big as they look uh most of the year and so the the product as i say is the uh is the fiber uh, but uh, yeah so it, it's grown i think it's certainly growing in the uk but it, it, you need to get to a certain level and then it it seems to to kind of build on and then the industry behind that in terms of the working with the fleece and producing the yarn producing things in Australia, they've, they've moved on to doing some of the, the rougher, <laughs> it's still very fine, but it, compared to other fibers, but it, the, the coarser fiber that, that is not so useful for making a nice scarf around your neck is really good for making high end carpets. So there's a lot of, a lot of the, the fibers being used in all kinds of ways. When we started, there were things that weren't being used. Um, you didn't bother with that, throw it away. It's no point in, nobody wants it. Whereas all of the fleece now is being used, it's got a purpose in one one, one way or another. Um, so it's it's been good to see the way things have grown, and that's following on as it is sort of throughout the world, but particularly in the in the UK now. Yeah, and do you develop products then from your fleece? Uh, yeah, we. Uh, how do you do something that's a bit different? We've tended to not go now. Okay, I've read the book, I've seen the videos on YouTube, I know how to spin. <laughs> not as easy not as easy as that and we know that but you know i i thought i'll have a go it was interesting and the 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 quoted theory is that if you spend ten thousand hours on something you can become an expert i didn't have ten thousand hours to spare and i'm not sure that it would <laughs> even after that i would be an expert so there's a lot of work it's it's a skill it's a it's a an art uh, it's not just a, a scientific thing you can't do it just with knowledge um, you have to have the feel for it, et cetera. So we didn't really go down the the spinning and, and the yarn route, but we've been using our fleece to produce things using felting techniques. So it's wet felting. So you 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 card the, the fiber, lay it out, and then you're using soap. We use a, a natural olive-based soap, and, and then uh, the fiber goes in together with the, with, with the water and the soap. You can work it in together, a bit of energy. And it, you sometimes get those little lumps in the washing machine or the tumble dryer where you got to, um, from, from sweaters, all the, the fiber goes together and, and lint and it, and it kind of lump, goes into a solid, quite a solid compact. That's felted. So you can produce things. So we've done a lot of things. Um, 
you can get bits of felt you stick on the bottom of chairs and things to protect the floors, but I'm not talking about that. It's it's we do scarves, we do uh, a variety of things you could use as artistic things or wall hangings and that that kind of thing. So there's that's that's been the thing we've been working on. We're currently working on an, another project, which is secret. No, no, it's uh, uh, it's still in the early stages. So we're still sort of working that one through uh, as a as a replacement clothing item. Uh, which will give you the warmth, the lightness, the, the um, insulation properties of the alpaca fiber is just amazing. And it would just, it's then a sustainable and a, a natural product rather than some of the, all the, all the kind of the, the uh, outdoor fleece things that people wear, uh, which produce tiny little bits that end up, you know, the bits of plastic end up in the, in the oceans and all that kind of thing. So it's an alternative to that. It's, it's a work in progress. We're, we're still on, on the journey with that. <laughs> but uh, that's the kind of thing we've been doing. So early on in your school and your schooling, you had an interest in becoming a veterinarian and you kind of shied. Am I, what I'm hearing is that you kind of shied away from that. And then you've come full circle and here you are. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I, and I think it was the, the a reality check about, A, was I going to get the, the grades, the, the demand uh, for, for the the competition for the places at university is very high for, for veterinary work. And also it was kind of, it wasn't quite the rosy viewed uh, thing of uh, working with animals only and not people. <laughs> so, but we'd had a dog, but we hadn't had, I'd never had an opportunity to do the kind of things we've been doing. And I didn't realize there was a shepherd in me just waiting to be expressed. It never had the opportunity. Uh, I worked in an office. I, after university, I'd, I trained in environmental health. Uh, so the public health aspect, so it's all the, the food hygiene and the, the the air pollution and and housing conditions, et cetera, the wide range of things. So that was a very much me kind of shaped job, but but it never had the opportunity to express the the shepherding side of things until we had the alpacas. And I just found it's just a natural part of me uh, and uh, and I love it. So it's, yeah, it's interesting, interesting journey for that. that. Mm-hmm. Yes, because I was wondering, what is... What magic do alpacas have? Do you think that people who with this gene that you mentioned earlier, is it the unexpressed shepherd in all of them or is it something else, do you think? It may be that I think it may be something else because there's something when you look at an alpaca, I've got people who come to visit. We we do birthday treats and that kind of things. People will come to small groups of people, and then we can spend time among the alpacas. We go and, and we get in the field with them, and the alpacas are used to that, so they'll they'll stay around. And you're watching the alpacas, and then you suddenly notice they're watching you. And there's something behind the eyes. With sheep, they're a bit kind of hmm, a bit dull and a bit kind of not so bright. Really, I'm biased, but nevertheless, my experience has been sheep are not quite so bright, and the alpacas, they're looking back at you. You realize that that you're being examined as well as you're watching and examining them. And I think there's that kind of connection with the animals. They're very calm and oh, very calming to be around. Generally, <laughs> apart from when they're fighting, generally very placid and uh, just very, yeah, create a calming atmosphere. They, they're used as um, intervention animals with or into, into hospitals or hospices or uh, with with children who have got uh, learning disabilities or, or or that kind of thing. So they they have a very they're very sensitive kind of animal. So the, there's that kind of interaction with them is is quite different to to a lot of. There's nothing quite like them. I think is is, is where I would come down to. So you mentioned your public programs. Let's talk about your public programs. 
Sure. You have organized farm days, open farm days, or, or sorry, farm open days. Is, yeah, farm open yes. days. And which are huge ticketed events. You also have individual, you also provide individual um, learning experiences on the farm. So how did that all come to be? I think it's it's my natural tendency to want to share, as I, as I was saying earlier, and, and and kind of communicate and share that knowledge. I think that it, it's general in the the environment of I think the, the alpaca industry. The people with alpacas are very happy to talk about alpacas and to share their knowledge with others who are who are interested and are particularly thinking of of owning them. But but generally, the people, <laughs> most people I know who've got alpacas, they'll talk alpacas all day. So it was a way of trying to give people access to the alpacas that might otherwise never have that opportunity. And so we do the, the open days are, they were, they got out of hand really. We, we became victims of our own success where we ended up with one uh, bank, but we used the bank holiday public holidays for, for them. And we had 240 people turn up pretty much all at the same time. The car park was heaving. The, I, it, I was doing a farm walk and I had about 60 people in the group. And by the time I got to the place I was going to do the, the first bit, the, the tail enders hadn't actually left the car park. <laughs> so it was too big. We, I didn't feel so comfortable. So we rejigged things to give a better experience for people. Um, so we do it, as you say, ticketed and brought the numbers down so it's more manageable. And it shifted slightly in terms of the the people who come. But it means that people who are really interested are coming and they, they get a better experience. And I'm able to to, to provide that for them and that that works really much better i think and then we do the training and, and stuff for people who are thinking about alpacas who have got alpacas that need help to know what they need to do to care for them we sometimes get groups sometimes schools or there's uh the dyers weavers and spinners guild there's various various around the country there's various groups that think we've, we've had visits from from them and we took them into the room where the we've got all the stores of the of the fleece and they, it was like children in a sweet shop all, all these all these ladies were because they were all ladies that time uh they were absolutely over the moon and and lots of them bought lots of fleece to take away with them <laughs> so that was that was fun so yeah there's there's a general interest and then there's a specific interest and we can provide the training and stuff for for people if they need that yeah mm-hmm. you also host tours for birthdays and anniversaries and yeah and and weddings as well oh no i try to stay away from weddings it's really difficult people people are keen they think it's wonderful now and they've seen pictures of alpacas at weddings and i'm thinking oh no <laughs> that lovely that lovely white dress just doesn't doesn't Oh, the thought of the green spit from the alpacas <laughs> over the white dress. Now you've got to you've got to you've got to upset an alpaca to make it spit. People ask, do they do they spit? Well, they do, and they're usually spitting at each other. And and I, I happen to be stood in the wrong place, so or the other one ducks or whatever. So I get spat at, but or I'm sticking needles in the babies doing vaccinations and things, and the mums don't like it, which is you know again it's fair enough. But yeah, no, I I, I haven't trained any of my alpacas up to do that kind of uh, public. <laughs> <laughs> public thing i just think oh it's such an important day i just wouldn't want to feel responsible <laughs> for the alpacas behaving themselves and i wasn't sure they were going to so yeah but no we do do things uh where people will come for the for birthdays and and we have young children and and uh, uh, a whole range of ages it's it's and it's not it's not just women it's not just older people it's the whole range which is great so mm-hmm. And the magic that you experience with alpacas, how do you interpret that? I mean, or do you even have to interpret that? 
well, often you get a couple that'll come and and the the, the partners kind of bought the the experience for the birthday or whatever because their partner is really mad about alpacas. And then they 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 turn up and you kind of go, okay, they're kind of here under sufferance. The other partner is is absolutely delighting. Oh, it's so excited about the the alpacas. But by the end of the time we've been together, then they've usually come around and they they really have enjoyed being around the alpaca. Didn't realize they were like that, etc. And so they, there's a real connection. Yeah, we usually manage to win people over, <laughs> even if they're less enthusiastic to begin with. But uh, yeah, but no, no I, it tend, tends to be self selecting. People who are really inter- interested in alpacas will come. And uh, but those that are not, they, we yeah, we'll win them around. <laughs> and so, what's a visit? What is a visit to the farm like? Okay, so people will turn up. It depends where the alpacas are. I, I have them out loose. You have to come through a gate, which is closed when people arrive. I've got to listen out and make sure I hopefully can be there to to let them through the gate because sometimes get a bit confused. And the we then go find the alpacas wherever they are in the field, and we'll approach them slowly and stand around talking, and the alpacas just go back to grazing. And then they come over and have a little look at us, and they they sneak up behind you to have a sniff. They want to check <laughs> check who you are and what you're what you're like, just by having a sniff of you. So um, that being immersed in in the alpacas, um, and we do around. We've got various groups of, of younger ones and and the older males and and the, the larger group of females. And then we'll do ah, oh, we do some wonderful homemade cake, courtesy of my wife. She's an excellent cook. Um, so we do tea, coffee, and homemade cake, and then we go feed the alpacas. We don't give them cake, but we, we then give them their normal food. And so people are standing there with a bucket with five alpaca heads all shoved into this bucket, all feeding at the same time. So you get it's an immersive experience. People are surrounded by by these alpacas. And usually people don't, they move away. If you move towards them, they move away. So if you've got food, they don't move away so much. So you can sneak a little touch and you can you can be around them. Uh, and as close to them, more close, closely than, than most people are ever going to going to manage to get. So, that's the the kind of things we do. And you offer a tour of the valley as well. Yeah, well, we do that as we go around uh, because it's it's a a valley with with different areas, different habitats, and different with the different fields where the alpacas are. But as I mentioned earlier, it's a, a it was a reservoir, Victorian built, so eighteen seventy four. It was providing clean water for Swansea. So alongside the the amazing silence and quiet and the birds and the and things, we've got the the remnants of that industrial uh, archaeology almost. We've got things that are not used anymore, but but uh, the remnants of the amazing stonework and things that were were done. Um, so we talk about the history of the place as well, and we we see various things. We've got a lot of um, natural life around um, the edge of the lake because um, we've got a, a lake in the middle of the valley as well, uh, which is about three and a half acres uh, of water. So it's, it's a reasonable sized one. And we get a lot of progression through the year. So you get the damselflies, the, the bright blue ones early in the in the year, and they goes through and you get start to see some of the dragonflies will start to appear. And then they, they, they've got different types of those, different colors, different different species of, uh, of dragonflies goes through. Uh, one time we were going around and with alpaca visit and somebody said, oh, was that a furry duck? Uh, a furry duck. Don't think so. Not sure what that is. And we looked a bit more, and there it was. And it was an otter. Um, so a visitor, not a, not a permanent feature. But we we also have a range of uh, of water fowl as well. So we get Canada geese that, that that come and nest here. We've got ducks around. 
we have uh, the moorhens and um, some little grebes as well. And then woodpeckers and magpies and a whole range of things and some ravens. And there's just there's something going on all the time. And we've got red kites that actually nest here. Um, and buzzards are up the other end of the valley. They occasionally clash in the middle of the valley <laughs> and do do clever aerobatics trying to keep each other out of each other's airspace. So there is, there's something happening somewhere in the valley all the time. And then you go smaller, you look at the, the, the fungi, the progression of, of flowers through the the, the the whites, yellows, and blues, and then back through the purples and back into the yellows. And as the the, the wavelength of the, the light changes, it changes the colors of the flowers as you go through the year. So there's there's a lot to be seen. So I, the farm walk includes all of that. Wow. It, it sounds like a wonderful experience. Oh, you have to come sometime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and okay, you also have to complement the activities on the farm and Walsh Valley Alpacas, a podcast. I do. Which is called the Alpaca Tribe. Yeah. Tell us about the podcast. Okay. Well, that was recognizing that that I, there was a lot of stories to tell about the alpacas. There's a lot of knowledge to pass on to those who would find it helpful. And the, the smaller, uh, the, the people who've got smaller numbers of alpacas sometimes get kind of a bit stranded in the middle where they're, they're not big breeders. They're not they've got their animals, they're not likely to be buying more and therefore they kind of get a bit neglected and they've got some expectation but haven't been able to, to meet that. So the podcast was a way of trying to share that kind of knowledge, that the kind of things that would be helpful to think about and to try and do in a way to approach those things. So it's quite practical, but is also peppered with with stories of of the alpacas and because they, they've all got individual characters and, and uh, the, the way they behave, et cetera. So where we are We've got a catchment area of a travel distance to to get to us. The podcast takes it much wider. In fact, it takes it all around the world. And there are people listening in Australia and Japan and throughout Europe and 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 throughout America. So we've got a, we've got a lot of lot of listeners in America, which is really lovely. So that's that's quite an interesting experience having done the podcast and being able to communicate and kind of paint the pictures with words. You can you can paint with light when you take taking photographs. Uh, and I'll try to share the appropriate pictures on the the website as well, when alongside the the audio of the of the podcast. So it's painting with words or painting with with light as you're taking pictures, um, trying to share something of of mm-hmm. what's here really. How did you build your audience for your podcast and also for your um, for your business? Yeah, well, you've got to kind of with with that. You need to think about who they are and where they live. I'm not thinking about their physical address, but where do they live digitally? Because that's generally the way that you can connect with people. So for some people, they've signed up for a, an email newsletter, but it's kind of one way. And I'm pushing stuff out to them and they, they receive it. So some of the other stuff, what what about where, where are the people? There's, there's some large communities on Facebook. Um, with alpacas, people love alpacas, so they take pictures of them and they share the pictures. So Instagram, and then that flowing through into, into Facebook. So that's where a lot I've found that a, a lot of my community, a lot of the alpaca connections, uh, are based on Facebook. So that's where I've used that as a, a vehicle to also share details about the events that we've got happening here and the uh, the offerings that we're able to make in terms of the visits. And it's it's therefore trying to to make the connections and and then be consistent and keep showing up. Um, and doing the weekly podcast to keep keep doing that, so you can draw people's attention to to the latest one. 
Um, and it's not going to be for everybody because some people are really interested in fiber and some people are really interested in the the stories and some in, in, in I want to keep alpacas. So I should talk more about that. And so you can't do everything all the time, but over over a period of time, you can you can reach quite a large range of people. So that's that's how I've found that my connection is 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 best. And then there's just people that people like they, they follow. I mean, we've got about a thousand followers on on Facebook for the Welsh Valley Alpacas uh, side of things, uh, which absolutely astounds me. I, I how did that happen? Um, and <laughs> but people really really respond, and, and we get interactions going backwards and forwards, and people commenting on on things. So that's uh, it takes time, but it's it's showing up, being consistent, uh, and sharing things that you know are going to be of interest to to the to the audience. Mm-hmm. What topics haven't you explored yet? Haven't explored. Ooh, there's some things like the uh, doing the breeding side of things for alpacas. It's it's a bit more detailed. I've mentioned it in passing, but the the detail of how you approach that, uh, the <laughs> the practicalities of of how you manage the males and the uh, and the females and and keeping the records and all those kind of things. That's that's a bit more of a uh, almost a niche kind of area, and, and it's not that's not necessarily information everybody's going to need. Um, or no, some people are not necessarily going to want to hear about either. Uh, some people will be interested, but yeah, so that's a, that's a tricky one. I'm not sure how to <laughs> how to do that appropriately. And some of it, I do realize with a podcast, you've got great uh, the audio and you've got the sounds and some of some sounds from the barn, etc. We can use at times. But how do you demonstrate in a podcast how to shear or how to trim the toenails of an alpaca? So there's a there's a limitation up to a point. I can t- put some pictures up, but actually, then little video clips and things add into the mix as well i think so there's there's other ways of being able to to share so that some of the stuff i haven't done because it's it doesn't fit with the audio um or with still photographs but it would be better done as as little video clips so <laughs> that's another, <laughs> another skill set to learn whatever you are. so what's next for you is is developing video clips next for you or what else is next for you I think that that's part of it. I mean, the alpaca tribe is is growing in terms of the connections and and the the listeners. It's it's ticking along and and growing through, you know throughout the world, which is again I, I stand amazed by. But I think it's it's trying to make sure I can carry on getting the stuff to the right people, not for everybody, but who is it for? Can I get make sure that I'm I'm targeting things today, uh, and trying to find a way of of bringing people together. I think there's a there's a benefit in cross connections of people in the alpaca community. And some of the stuff is kind of two way within Facebook, but it's a bit, it's some people don't get on very well with the, that as a, as a platform. So I'm looking at other, other options of, of having a, as like an on, an online community connection there. So that's the, the alpaca. I think building some of more of the international connections. You've been doing this independent work for over 11 years. You began with this impulse to go explore alpacas, and you've developed a huge community and a business and workshops and public experiences, and now a podcast, which extends your reach even further. What have you learned about community building through the past 11 years? What would be some advice for someone who's just beginning to build their community or wants to strengthen their community? I think one of the key things that immediately springs to mind with that is it takes time. And actually, the numbers are not that significant. You know, large numbers don't necessarily mean a good community. It's, it's making connections, appropriate connections with the right people. 
and finding a way of it not just being a one-way thing. It's, you know, I've got something I want to sell you. It's only going to go so far. It's, you've got to have the people who want to buy from you. But if it's something, I've got something I'd like to share with you, and maybe further down the line, or in, you know, there are things that you might want to buy as well. But actually, the the emphasis is more on the building a connection and a relationship with with that group of people, and trying to find a way of those people interacting together as well. That I think is is a way of having a cohesion in the community, a, a feeling connected. People know about us, and some have been here, and they feel like they, they almost belong. Um, some more than others, and some they come back right over and over again, uh, which is great. We we love to to, to see people returning, um, and they, they they arrive as friends. You know, we 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 recognise them, and there's there's a connection. Oh, it's great to see you again, etc. So that kind of friendliness and openness, and building something for the long term. So it's going to start small, it's going to build, and you need to put in the 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 stage points, um, and not. And not just see it as a way of monetizing something. I think that's, you know, I think that there may be things that you can sell, and that you know there is a business dimension to what we're doing for, for sure. But, but actually, the, the community building side of it is make the connection, gather the people, in whatever way that's that can be online or it can be physically, um, and then build slowly over time. But all the time, bringing stuff that is of benefit and adding value to to people. Yes, very. Very good advice, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Really, really good to catch up with you. Thank you for your company today. To learn more about Welsh Valley Alpacas and the Alpaca Tribe podcast, visit the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find a link to the Waterside. It turns out that the people who sign up for alpaca experiences are not the only ones who find the valley and the alpacas magical. People from the corporate world discover magic on the farm too. Learn more in the show notes at talentera.com. Talentera is a podcast for and about independent educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tanya Marion.